0: We thought you might like to know more about the Benjamin Harrison presidential site. It's a building on 12th and Delaware in Indianapolis. It is the home of President Benjamin Harrison, Indiana's very own president. He's one of those guys after the Civil War between, you know, near the Roosevelt's, right? That's sort of what we know about him, and maybe you've driven by the building, but it is an incubator of community building and encouraging people to get engaged in their civic life in their own communities and building leadership, especially in students with their Future Presidents of America program. I talked to CEO and President Charlie Hyde more about what they're doing and how they're getting involved in the community and helping people learn more, not only about the 22nd President Benjamin Harrison, but also how they do history, why they do history, and how it makes an impact for today. So stay tuned here on The Chris Spangle Show. Before we start, I want to thank all of the Weird Libertarians patrons for being a part of the show. You can find out all of the benefits of subscribing on Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That's w-a-l-plus.com. You'll get bonus content, access to the complete archives. There's over a thousand shows that you can't get in the public feed, and you'll be supporting all of our great shows. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members, John Pusilo, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jake Dell, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. We also want to thank our main sponsor for this episode. Uh, it is Iconic Insurance. 15% of Americans are left to find health insurance on their own. And even if you get health insurance from your employer that doesn't work for you, Matt Allen and Iconic Insurance can help you find the right insurance. Just head over right now and contact him at iconic-insurance.com libertarians. We'll put the link in the description if you can't remember that. But Matt is a longtime listener of this program and a great guy and a good friend of mine. So please go support him and reach out right now. Thank you. And now let's get started with our show. You're listening to We Thought You Might Like to Know. My guest today is Charlie Hyde, President and CEO of the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site. You can learn more at their website, phpsite.org. Now, Charlie Hyde, President and CEO of the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks so much, Chris.
0: I'm going to be honest. You know, we have a national audience and heard across statewide on uh, local radio stations, I know there's some crazy number of Indiana school children that come to the house. I unfortunately was never one of them. And I have to admit that I don't know a ton about Benjamin Harrison. So can we start with who Benjamin Harrison was, and then what you do to preserve his memory there on 12th and Delaware? Sure. So I'll even back out a little bit further to give some broader context
1: and then get get right to Benjamin Harrison. But if you think of the larger arc of American history. Over the past two centuries, there have been over 500 million citizens of this country. Of those 500 million, just over 12,000 have served in Congress. I think we're up to 115 that have served on the Supreme Court, but only 45 individuals and 46 administrations who've been president of the United States. So you think about that, 45 out of a half billion people. There's some reason why those 45 individuals were elected to the highest office in the land. And the legacies that we have that we can share related to those 45 presidents, it may be good, it may be bad. It's likely somewhere in between. But there's a there's a deeper story to understand and it gives insight into the larger American story. So. Our role as the Benjamin Harrison presidential site is really to look at specifically the story of Benjamin Harrison, his four years in office, and what he sought to accomplish and what he was able to do then as president of the United States. So as you mentioned, we're here in Indianapolis at 12th and Delaware Street. You can see behind me the 10,000 square foot home that Benjamin and Caroline Harrison built for themselves in 1874. That's really the heart of our campus today. We're on two and a half acres in downtown Indianapolis, literally at the crossroads of the crossroads, right off of Interstate 65 and 70 coming through Indianapolis. So utilizing that 10,000 square foot historic structure, it's a national historic landmark. We're able to share a collection of over 10,000 nationally significant artifacts. As you tour through the house itself, 75 to 80% of what you see is original to the Harrisons. And so it really gives a phenomenal perspective to the late 19th century, to an era of American presidents that are little known, but had just as formative an influence on the development of this country, as any presidents over the past 200 plus years, and that's that's what we feel like makes the story that we have to share all the more compelling. People tend to know Washington, Lincoln, maybe Theodore Roosevelt, and then you get into the modern era with JFK, and you know up to the the current day. But for presidents like Benjamin Harrison, um, there's a deeper story that that really merits further exploration.
0: Yeah, I think people always they talk. He was a Lawyer by trade. He was born in Ohio. He chose to live in Indianapolis because it was halfway between Cincinnati and Chicago. And in my opinion, he was very instrumental in turning Indianapolis into a major city. I mean, you, you kind of talked a little bit about how that period of presidents left a legacy that we still live with today. I mean, most notably, I think in terms of his presidency, it would be national parks. Would you say that would be kind of top three in terms of his legacy? Yes.
1: Yeah, so you, you think about the there had been 22 other presidents preceding Benjamin Harrison. And really the only work that had been done on the National Park side had been with Lincoln and with Grant for protections for Yellowstone. And Benjamin Harrison had twice, as a Senator from Indiana, tried to give protections to the Grand Canyon and was unsuccessful both times. So then as president, he was able to secure the legal powers, then as president, to be able to not just give protections to the Grand Canyon, but with the passage of the Forest Reserve Act, created the national forest system. So that allowed him, and it was, it was done very intentionally, it allowed him to set aside 13 million acres of land nationally for preservation. And Harrison went on to create the second, third, and fourth national parks, gave the first federal protections to Indian ruins um, with Casa Grande. So it was very intentional on Harrison's part. And you look at that larger intentionality of his administration, certainly in his outspoken advocacy for Black civil rights, calling for him signing the Sherman Antitrust Act, his advocacy for a two-ocean navy for national defense. There, There are a lot of really compelling stories that merit further exploration just within his four years of administration.
0: Yeah, he was very progressive, even for Indiana. I mean, Indiana was a northern state, but by no means, I mean, in 1851, uh, with the new constitution, they outlawed blacks from settling in the in the Indiana territory, in the, in the state, excuse me. But Benjamin Harrison was, is it fair to say he was progressive for his time on issues of civil rights?
1: Yes, I, I think especially if you look at the policies that he was advocating. So again, he was outspoken even in the 1850s in support, of Black civil rights, he understood that the Civil War was about, was about eliminating slavery. So again, he's on record, you know, giving political speeches in the 1850s and beyond, specifically advocating for the elimination of slavery, for the protection of Black civil rights, and, you know, especially with his administration and seeking to help fund education and protect education for Blacks, especially in the South. Coming within a couple votes of getting what was called the um, Lodge Force Bill um, passed, that would have ensured federal election protections, and you know potentially could have forestalled the the enormous amount of voter suppression that happened in the late 19th, early 20th century in Black communities, especially there in the South. So there, there's a lot of work that Harrison sought to accomplish, or at least lay the groundwork for it to be accomplished through his administration.
0: What is it about his background that may, I mean? At that point in time, there's a lot of courage there, especially as a politician. What what informed his decision to really be vocal and be active about these issues you know, that, that really a, informed him?
1: It, it's, it's an interesting journey, and we're, we're still trying to better understand it ourselves. If you look at that family legacy. So there's a deep civic legacy within the Harrison family. So his great-grandfather, Benjamin Harrison V, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, former governor of Virginia, and was indeed a slaveholder. His grandfather, William Henry Harrison, governor of the Indiana Territory, was elected from the state of Ohio as ninth president of the United States, and of course is the the President Harrison that only survived a month into office.
0: Who brought slaves Um, to the Indiana Territory. If, if I'm not
1: mistaken. So yeah, so there's there's a lot of controversy about, yeah, the legality of slaves or indentured servants in the Indiana Territory. And I know that there's a lot of research being done on that. But looking at Harrison's own story, I think you Benjamin Harrison's own story, You get some insight from Harrison himself in that election of 1888. So as you noted, Harrison truly brought the national spotlight to Indianapolis in that campaign. He had decided that he would conduct a front porch campaign. So what that entailed was essentially instead of him going around the country, the country all came to Indianapolis and so he gave a series of 80 speeches to over 300,000 people for that campaign. And so you had trains coming in and out of Indianapolis constantly. People wanting to hear from Benjamin Harrison, the candidate for the presidency. And there were a group of 300 African-American men that called themselves the Harrison Club that greeted Benjamin Harrison at his front door. He welcomed them. He gave all of these speeches, almost all of these speeches from the front stoop of the house that um, you can see here in, in the background behind but he gave a speech to to the Harrisons, to the Club of Supporters, and he shared the story of when he was a young boy uh, growing up on the Ohio River, right there between Ohio and Indiana, and coming upon a fugitive slave in the Canebrake and surprising the the individual and being uh, surprised himself. And he said that, as shocking as it was, he kept his secret. And so, I mean, that's that's a pretty profound thing if you think about it for... You know, Harrison was born in um, 1833. So for him in the 1840s to recognize the weight of that moment and to have somebody who's trying to make their way to freedom and to keep that secret, that, that's that's pretty profound. And I think that speaks not only to Harrison's character, but also a lot of those formative beliefs that he had. And, you know, you can see, again, through his personal arc, the way that he he centered faith and really centered um, justice through law. This idea that we could all be equal in front of the Constitution and that the Constitution was the mechanism by which we could all ensure equality was not just sought after, but truly attained. Yeah, I wondered what I
0: wonder what role his faith played. I I attend the church that he built or helped build. Um, now a Presbyterian church, I believe he was Presbyterian. Did that play any role in you know his his mission to be community oriented, not just on issues of civil rights, but you know he built the Columbia Club and has had such a big impact on the people around him. Did that play a role as well? His faith.
1: It it certainly did. We know that he had um, a moment of decision when he was in college in which he had to decide whether he wanted to become a minister or whether he wanted to become a lawyer. And he decided that becoming a lawyer allowed it allowed him to choose both, essentially, to have a strong professional outlet, but then also to be able to focus on faith through his, certainly through his personal life and through his community works. And so I think that you can see that reflected again and again in the decisions he was seeking to make, his larger perspective on the direction of the country. I think you can even see it in things like how we see ourselves as American today. Many people I feel like, are more familiar with Benjamin Harrison than they realize. So, for example, if you know the Pledge of Allegiance, you know Benjamin Harrison. Harrison had encouraged its adoption and use in schools. You know, just coming two decades out of the United States Civil War, he wanted to transcend state identity and to really make sure that people were thinking of themselves as Americans first, as citizens of the United States first, not as a citizen of Virginia or Indiana or Kentucky or you know, you you name it. Um, But really to, to have country first was important to Harrison. And that tradition of flying the American flag in front of schools and public buildings also harkens to Benjamin Harrison. So he was centennial president, so elected 100 years after George Washington, and he used the occasion of the centennial celebrations in New York City to call upon everyone after those national celebrations not to put their flags away, but to continue to fly them in front of schools and public buildings. And again, I think understanding the larger unifying effect of the flag and having the national identity rather than a regional or state-based identity.
0: Yeah, how much of the Civil War kind of helped inform that identity as a nation as opposed to uh, the states or maybe even part I've heard stories of Indiana uh, soldiers going to the south and realizing how tyrannical slavery was and I know Benjamin Harrison likely suffered PTSD from the civil war and and he didn't intend to actually go and serve he he was just trying to help recruit people and then he or I may I'm gonna let you tell the story actually instead of me messing this up but I find his civil war service to be really interesting and I suspect it has a lot to do with everything we've talked about so far
1: you know As as I mentioned earlier, this this deep-seated sense of obligation, recognizing that it was important to fulfill not just your obligations as a citizen, but to truly model that for others. So Harrison, when the Civil War first broke out, many people thought it would be a conflict of months as it started to stretch into years and Lincoln was making renewed calls for volunteers. Governor Morton called Harrison to his office um, at the state house, and explained the the troubles that he was having, and helping meet this this call for three hundred thousand new troops from from Lincoln. So Harrison listened carefully and thought for a couple moments, and said to Morton, Governor Morton, he said, "If I'm needed, I will go." And Morton said, "No, you know, you're a Supreme Court reporter. You've got a young family. I'm not asking you to go. I just need help." You know, he was acknowledged even then for his tremendous oratorical skills. He said, I just need your help explaining to others why it's so important to serve in this moment. And Harrison insisted that if he was going to ask others to serve, that he himself would serve. And that would actually end up becoming a campaign issue in 1888 because Grover Cleveland, when confronted with that choice, hired a substitute and never served himself. So Benjamin Harrison saw that if he was going to ask others to to serve for the Union cause, that he needed to lead by example. So he went out that very day and started recruiting. He started off as a second lieutenant and by the end of the war had been breveted as a brigadier general. He was known affectionately by his troops as Little Ben. At first, there was a lot of resentment of him because he was so disciplined and his uh, desire to see the troops well-trained before they got to the front. And that resentment turned to appreciation and admiration once they did arrive at the front because they saw how ill-prepared many of their other volunteer compatriots were and understood that Harrison's efforts had been to ensure that to the extent that he could to best prepare them for the rigors of life on a battlefield. So as you mentioned, it was a traumatic experience for Benjamin Harrison, but he helped lead his troops from the front In part, the reason he was breveted as a Brigadier General was for valor in battle at the battles of Rosaca and Peachtree Creek. You know, there's stories that have been shared over the years and are well-documented about Harrison serving as a battlefield surgeon for his troops after the surgical corps got separated from the main body. So he truly put himself fully into, into that responsibility, serving leading those
0: troops just a couple more questions about his time as president. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the future presidents of America and how you do history there at, at the actual location, because I find him to be just a very interesting person. The relationship between Grover Cleveland and Benjamin Harrison doesn't resemble politics today, <laughs> uh, and I think serves as a model for us. Can you talk a little bit about that and how they approached each other as opponents? Benjamin Harrison, uh, is he? am I correct that? Who did he beat to become president, and then why did he serve one term and lose to Cleveland?
1: So you had Gerber Cleveland uh, was elected in 1884 and then was defeated by Benjamin Harrison in 1888, and then in turn beat Benjamin Harrison in 1892. So it's the only non-consecutive presidential term. It's why uh, Grover Cleveland is president number 22 and number 24. And if you make your way to the Benjamin Harrison presidential site and visit our Stan and Sandy Hurt presidential promenade, you'll see the presidential medallions for Grover Cleveland at 22 and 24. You'll see his signature uh, carved into granite. Of bracketing Benjamin Harrison on either side. But I, I think what's remarkable about the relationship that they had was that everyone recognized that elections could be very contentious, but they appreciated that, that smooth transition of power and honoring and recognizing the way that they could model to the country how they should comport themselves as civic leaders, as public servants. So you had, uh, for example, Grover Cleveland hold the umbrella over Benjamin Harrison's head when Harrison took the oath of office in 1889. And there there are photographs of this. And it's, it's a great, it's a very heartening thing to see because it's a reminder of How we should seek to treat each other and the public sphere that however much we may disagree, if we're disagreeing in good faith and continue to have respect for each other and really model that behavior, certainly whether that's in our own communities, at the city, state, national level, that's something that that truly carries through and the, the larger political discourse. I think that there's, there's so much heat in political discourse right now that the people aren't necessarily discussing ideas as much as ideologies and you know it's, it's something that characterizes every age it's it's not something that previous centuries were immune to either but how do we how do we seek to model behavior for the next generation to at least ease the path for them to be able to continue this grand experiment in self-government that we've that we've been able to sustain over the past almost 250 years and that's that's what we're really seeking to accomplish. You know our Our mission as the Benjamin Harrison Presidential site is to help increase public participation in the American system of self-government through the life stories, arts, and culture of an American president. So while we represent Benjamin Harrison specifically and are able to share that story more intensively um, and to share the story of First Lady Caroline Harrison, to be able to speak to that era in Indianapolis and the nation at large. It's it's how we can draw lessons from that story that has relevance to conversations that we're having today that I think is all the more important.
0: Yeah. One story is when Caroline Harrison died the month before the election. Cleveland stopped campaigning together uh, along with Harrison. You know, there's really uh A lot of respect there. I think you've done a great job with the Harrison House. How long have you been there? And why did you seek out the job? Were you picked to do the job? What, you know, uh, I don't know. Did you wake up one morning and go, you know what, I'm going to be an expert in Benjamin Harrison. I'm going to go to college for that. (laughs) So how did you end up CEO and president of the Harrison presidential site? So, you know, I've,
1: I have a history degree from Hanover College. I've always been fascinated by history and the way that it can help inform the decisions we're trying to make today. So, you know, it's, it's always frustrating Trying to navigate very very complex issues, and so any kind of insight that you can glean from where similar types of conversations have happened in the past, where you can find analogous situations, I think is is all the more important. Not just so you avoid the mistakes, but also perhaps you can improve upon you know the way things have been done previously. So that I think history has some really powerful lessons that we can draw from it, and to be intentional in the way in which we help communicate. That knowledge to the next generation is just really compelling for me. Um, certainly, the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site has great has a great reputation stretching back decades for its education programming, serving tens of thousands of schoolchildren each year. You know, as you mentioned, it's it's one of the iconic field trips uh, for um, uh, fourth graders here in the state of Indiana. But we're we're finding ways that we can even look beyond the elementary school level, that, that we understand it's not just one and done when it comes to fourth grade, that it's continuing education through middle school and into college. And an organization like ours can do a lot of good if we can share our resources, if we can share the stories we have, if we can help advance education of American history and civics. Um, I feel like we're especially well-positioned to do so. And that that was what really brought me here to the Benjamin Harrison presidential site in the first place, was, again, just an organization with a tremendous reputation and was just so intrigued by the story of Benjamin Harrison and the fact that it wasn't better known. So working with the phenomenal staff that we have here, we've really spent almost the past decade just continuing to build on great education programs, tremendous collection. The historic structure, again, is National Historic Landmark. We've actually just culminated fundraising on um, our Old Glory New Vision Capital Campaign, and we're completing construction. And we're thinking of it very much as a century project in terms of making those investments in historic property and throughout our two and a half acres of grounds to really elevate the experience in a way that's respectful of that historic residence that the Harrisons built, but really drawing from the grounds and the improvements that we've made to heighten that story and to put it, to frame it in the larger perspective of our American system of self-government. To think about the presidency as one of three co-equal branches of government to honor and recognize 45 presidents over 46 administrations who've served this country to better understand what they did right, what they did wrong, what we can learn from that. So again, we've, we've been able to build all of that into our grounds you know, highlighting the founding documents with the charters of freedom, honoring citizenship. You may be aware we partner with the federal court each year and we serve as a naturalization site. So we have something called the book of history that seeks to honor all of those new citizens who've naturalized here since 2003. So it's an outdoor stainless steel book. You turn the pages and you can see just that tremendous, tremendous investment.
0: Yeah. I thought that was a cool touch. I, I, um, For listeners, I I live between there and the Central Library, so it is always on my walk. It's one of my favorite places to stop, and it's really—the picture in the background or a picture that you might Google, it's very hard to describe— how much bigger that house is in person and the grounds in itself. It's it's right next to a highway, but it, it feels very tranquil and it has a large yard on one side. You've built a new, what I assume is like a bus stop for kids to gather. Then there's the house itself with the, the historical collection inside event space that you use and then like the largest carriage house <laughs> that I've seen in a long <laughs> time. Um, I, w- I would imagine in my um, non-historian but historically interested brain if I were put in charge of a place like yours you have like different choices so I wonder what your mission is because you've got the house and the grounds and the collection and I'm sure some places are like research libraries and you're partly that but you also have a lot of programming you have like Moraka coming in to speak you also do things like the future presidents of America uh, h- how do you balance like the public history side of being a museum with the research side with the programming side like where you know is there just like one theme that runs through it all that is your central mission is it the citizenship and and being an active participant in your community is that the main decision and everything else flows through that how do you come to those decisions
1: so as, as you astutely note, Chris, you know, at the, at the heart of our two and a half acres here is the National Historic Landmark Home of the 23rd President of the United States. So I would say that, you know, we recognize that we are stewards of this National Historic Landmark of the nationally significant collection of over 10,000 artifacts. But we also understand that we wouldn't be serving... Our larger mission, if we didn't activate that collection, if we didn't activate the National Historic Landmark property in a way that embraced the larger community and truly sought to increase public participation in our American system of self-government, wanting to make sure that people understand their rights and responsibilities. And have a deeper appreciation for how we arrived at this moment as a country, what we've done well, what we could do better. And so I think you start seeing the intentionality of certainly the way that we've um, structured our outdoor grounds with the founding documents, with the book of history, with the presidential promenade, with the Johnson Floyd presidential commons, that you, you need a jumping off point. So when you think about things like our Independence Day social celebration on the 4th of July, that's a little easier to arrive at. You're standing, okay, 4th of July, of course, you would you know, have free public tours of the, the museum and have speeches and events and so on. But we also want to make sure that, that we honor and acknowledge the many other ways that the Harrisons invested of themselves in the larger community and to delve more deeply into stories connected with the Harrisons. So that includes everything from our special exhibit right now, which is No Compact of Silence, Black Civil Rights Advocates in the Harrison era, delving into the stories of those really remarkable Black civil rights advocates that were working hard in the late 19th century to ensure the achievements of the 20th century were possible. We also have events throughout the year, making sure that people feel welcome in the museum itself, Everything from community theater, you know, delving into contemporary stories of the Harrisons era to special events through the year, whether it's a presidential egg roll out on grounds that serves young families, Juneteenth Foodways Festival, which we had as our inaugural event this year that looks at the story of Dolly Johnson, who the Harrisons hired as White House executive chef into the Harrisons White House after firing their French chef. So there's a phenomenal story there and being able to delve more into Dolly Johnson's story as an entrepreneur, as a black business owner. And again, through the Juneteenth Foodways Festival, being able to help um, do our part to open up our doors to the larger community and to help build awareness for today's entrepreneurs. And just the really important role that whether it's a black civil rights advocate, or somebody looking to build a business today, that that they have a, a way to engage with the Benjamin Harrison presidential site, and that we can open up our doors and our relationships in a way that is helpful
0: to them. So I joined and became a member and I got my first Statesman magazine that you send out. So and on the cover is Meet the Future Presidents. And as I've noted, this this goes out to uh, high school and college uh, radio stations around the state of Indiana. And I wanted to talk about the Future Presidents of America. You know, you've got a lot of, you know, young leaders here featured. Tell us a little bit about the program. What is it? How do you select students? How can people apply if they want to, if they're listening and, and uh, get involved in it?
1: Yes. So Future Presidents of America is an initiative that we started in 2015. And as as I've shared kind of over the arc of our conversation, that we're very focused on being able to share the stories of executive leadership through the office of the presidency in ways that are relevant to conversations that we're having today. So with 45 presidents and 46 administrations, there are a lot of very different types of leaders, and there are many different ways that they arrived at the presidency and many ways that they departed the presidency, too. So there's a deeper story to learn from that and to be able to draw from some of our community's best and brightest 13 to 16 year olds and give them an opportunity to have an intensive one-week experience here at the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site, learning with our top-notch education team, being able to experience Indianapolis intensely, being able to meet civic leaders, statesmen, stateswomen, and hearing their stories directly, personally, is just a really powerful thing. And as we developed this program in 2015, we came to the realization that there are many leadership opportunities for young professionals, and that extends into the college level and even perhaps juniors and seniors in, in, in high school. But in that 13 to 16-year-old age range, there just really were not very many leadership opportunities. And we understand and acknowledge that, you know, 13 to 16-year-olds extremely bright. They have strong, informed opinions on the world. Their voices should be shared and heard. And so to be able to identify 20 young leaders each year that we can help accelerate their experience as leaders, that we can bring them to local, if not regional, and even in some cases national attention through this program, again, it's just a really powerful thing. And and not only for them, but it also helps shape and inform the ways that we can better educate and engage young adults and and the story of the American presidency and, and certainly our country's history.
0: So, is this available to students around the state? I, n- I know you I see a lot of Central Indiana high schools, but if somebody were in you know Warsaw or Wabash so or Terre Haute, it, would they that, be allowed to a, apply?
1: That's a great question, Chris. It's actually open nationally, but we also recognize that there are financial and geographic limitations. So what we started doing was we started looking for partner organizations that could help us expand future presidents of America. So if you're looking to apply for our program here at the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site, there are a couple different ways that you can become part of that program. We have 11 superintendent scholars that are nominated specifically by the 11 superintendents in Marion County here in central Indiana. The other nine openings are all open application. So for anyone that's interested, it's first come, first serve in terms of applications and consideration. So if, you, if you're interested as a student, I would strongly encourage, go to futurepresidents.us and you can apply directly online. Um, our education team will reach out to you and interview you and get, just get a better understanding of what you're looking for to make sure that the program is the right fit. And then once we hit our capacity of 20, then, you know, we'll take people for the wait list and consider them for future years. But really, we acknowledge, you know, that there's there's something to be said in leadership and, and taking the lead. Right. I'm not waiting till the last moment. So it's important to us that, that we again, we're modeling that behavior that we're hoping to see. Um, exhibited in the larger community.
0: So do they come to the house and work in the house or what kind of programming and, and how do you incubate leadership?
1: So for our program here at the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site, the base of operations is the museum itself. It's the National Historic uh, Landmark classroom space. And then of course, drawing from our grounds and from across Indianapolis, just day to day, each day's have different themes. Again, we're bringing in uh, civic leaders for profiles and leadership to be able to share their own stories of success and failure. But it's been one of the really exciting things for us as the program has expanded beyond Indiana. So we have two national partners. We have the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum in Springfield, Illinois, and also Andrew Jackson's The Hermitage, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, that are now offering future presidents of America as well. So much as we offer that program as a one-week format, and engaging young leaders in that 13 to 16-year-old age range, you'll find that same type of experience in our partner organizations. And in the coming years, we're looking to further expand future presidents of America geographically across the country. We've had participants from as far away as Texas hmm. participate in our program. So again, if if geography isn't isn't a limitation, if you have friends or family that are nearby, they are they're, they're always... Possibilities.
0: Is it an ongoing? Um, is it like a, a week in the summer? Is it an ongoing? You know, if somebody is from Texas, how would they plan for it?
1: Sure. So the primary
0: initial experience
1: is a one week intensive program. So it's Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. To, to 4 p.m. But I think what really distinguishes this program is that we continue to seek to invest of ourselves in these young leaders. So for example, in a week's time, we have uh, one of our public programs called Off the Record that that looks at um, each year, it it, um, focuses on one of the three co-equal branches of government. So last year we focused on um, the presidency. This year we're focusing on the judiciary with the Supreme Court and interviewing prominent Hoosiers who've served directly with the Supreme Court in some capacity. So the future presidents have been invited to attend that program it's a power brunch and and one of the large facilities in downtown indianapolis and so we're we've been able to not only find underwriting to cover the cost of their participation in the program itself for future presidents of america but then we also continue to find ways to underwrite their participation and special opportunities and programs like that throughout the year. So we continue to um, work with and to seek to help advance these young leaders.
0: What have you learned from the students? I don't know how many you've, how many groups of students you might have worked with, but I mean, have, have there just been things that have stood out to you that you just thought, I never would have thought this, I, I never would have expected this from kids?
1: That is a really astute question. And you know, I, I'm very intentional and in being mindful of thinking about them as young leaders because they, they truly are 13 to 16. They're, they're young leaders and many, if not most of these young leaders have just such a bright future. They, they have such great opportunities to share their thoughts, their ideas, to have an impact on the larger community, if not on the country. And so to the extent that we can help them. Be successful. Of course, we're nonpartisan, non-political as an organization. So really looking at it, approaching this very much in good faith, and just trying to, to help them find their way as leaders in the larger community. And you know, to your question specifically, first and foremost, the purpose of this program is to help them learn how to become better leaders in their community. But it's truly been a transformative program for us at the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site and that these relationships, and at this point we've had over 150 alumni um, from the program, they continue to engage with us to share their thoughts and ideas. One of the future presidents from the inaugural class actually was such a powerful advocate for the program that he encouraged his parents to get involved here at the museum. And his mother actually went on to join our board and then ultimately was our board chair. So I would say that Future Presidents of America has been as transformative for us as an organization from these young leaders themselves as whatever wisdom we're able to share or impart to them just from these stories of the American presidency.
0: If you can talk a person, a parent, into being the chair of a nonprofit board, you are going to be president or you're going to be... A CEO. You definitely have leadership qualities. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, shameless self-promotion. Charlie Hyde, the president and CEO of the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site. Please, where can people find out more information and what should they look for when they get there?
1: Well, so I'm going to suggest three places they can look for more information. So can always go to futurepresidents.us to learn more about the Future Presidents of America program. If they're interested in the American presidency, and that's something that they're willing to um, engage in and share, we do have a new initiative called Project POTUS that awards prizes for the best videos, one-minute videos on each of the American presidents. So that's an annual competition. We actually just awarded over $5,000 in prizes to the 22 Project POTUS winners. And they can always, of course, go directly to our main website, at PresidentBenjaminHarrison.org to learn more just about upcoming events, programs, tours, ways to get more involved here, whether it's through future presidents, Project POTUS, volunteering, or just whatever might meet their interest.
0: All right, Charlie Hyde, president and CEO of the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks so much, Chris. And thank you for listening to the show. We will see you again soon.